And alrighty, if you got a Bible, let's open up to Exodus chapter 3 tonight. I have been so excited to look at this text. Um, I, uh, I may just, uh, this, I might have to preach this again on Sunday morning um, because you, I think you'll like it enough to want to hear it again, and there's about 40 or 50 other people that need to hear it too. But not because this is going to really uh, stick it to anybody. This is just such a powerful subject tonight, and I, I hope that we all can kind of get in the right posture for this message, and I hope that we leave here with in the right posture in the right frame of mind. So may God, uh, may the messenger do the best job at presenting um, this awesome text. So we're going to open up, read verse th- chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and just kind of let this text speak for itself, and then we'll uh, kind of jump in where we left off last time um, as we are studying through the first part of Exodus uh, as we are learning about Moses and the children of Israel. Chapter 3, chapter three, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, or that's Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Not to leave anybody out. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. This is episode four of our study um, as we're digging into the Word in different places and different books of the Bible, particularly with Exodus. Um, We saw last time that Moses came under the conviction and the guidance of God, um, and he moved uh, from a place of worldly power uh, as he resigned from his worldly power, and he resolved to have a divine purpose. He wasn't sure of all the details. He just knew, hey, I can't sit here and watch my people suffer, even 
though I don't know everything about my God and my ancestors, I've learned a little bit about, uh, about him through the stories of Joseph. I know that I am betraying my heritage sitting on this throne while my people are suffering in the trenches. So he resigned from his worldly power and he resolved to find a divine purpose. And, 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 and rather than me summarizing kind of what was going on in his heart and his mind, I think the writer of Hebrews captures his heart in, a, in an awesome way. And we looked at this last week and it'll be refreshing for you to kind of explain what was going on in Moses' heart. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. So Moses kind of comes to this place, and he's going to learn more and more that sacrifices for God aren't always respected by the world, but there's nothing greater than following after what God is moving you for and moving, to, moving you towards. Moses saw what was before him, and he said, listen, all the treasures and all the wealth of Egypt and all the, the, the opportunities in this very fortunate, luxurious place. They do not rival what God has for me out there. I don't know what's going to go on out there, and I don't know what's going to happen out there, but I'm going to go out there because that's where God is, and I'd rather be where God is than where I am right now. So Moses took that leap of faith, and of course, we know the, the story uh, that the, the, the Hebrews didn't receive him, so he finds himself um, exiled um, because they're accusing him, and, and rightfully so. He, he killed the Egyptian, and, 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 and the Hebrews are kind of you know, uh, whist- blowing the whistle and, and bringing attention to that. So Pharaoh finds out, and he disowns Moses and then kind of exposes Moses as always having been an imposter, never really a true Egyptian. So Moses flees for Midian, and, and, and something that we find out in life is there's not always a handshake. There's not always a transaction that confirms our leap to faith. That every time we step out on faith, there isn't always this light from heaven, or there isn't always somebody, you know, standing there waiting on us, wanting to shake our hand, wanting to pat us on the back, and wanting to say, good job, you did the right thing, you're going to be fine. Here's some money, here's some health, here's some wealth, here's some strength. There's not always that transaction, right? Sometimes when you step out on faith and you start running for what God wants you to do, or towards where God wants you to be, sometimes you're met with resistance, aren't you? And there's not anybody cheering you on. Rather, there's people who are booing you and and, and reviling you and and, and jeering at you, and you're wondering, did I make the right decision? Have you been there before? And, And what Moses finds out, and what I want us to know tonight, is sometimes the confirmation is in the struggle. Sometimes the confirmation is in that when we we find that confirmation, we find that 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 strength in the midst of the struggle. Not because you have to struggle to find God's confirmation, but rather in the midst of the world's rejection and the world's misperception, God's acceptance and God's purpose is often punctuated and highlighted. When the world does not receive us and when the people that God sends us to don't always perceive us the way we would like them to, when people reject us and the world rejects us, that's often where God's purpose and acceptance over us is punctuated and highlighted and when we see where He is taking us even more clearly. That doesn't mean that rejection cannot be difficult. That doesn't mean that misperception is not often crippling and hurtful. For Moses, this was just the beginning of a very long, difficult, and really emotional journey. 
Remember, we looked at that sermon that Stephen preached that really told the whole history of Israel. And Stephen lets us in on some stuff about Moses that we don't find here in the Exodus text. Stephen told us this. When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptians. So they should have received that as someone God has sent to help them. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not. And isn't it true that sometimes we, we, we hope that people will understand that we're trying to help or that we're trying to do what God wants us to do? And wouldn't it be so much easier if when we're doing what God wants us to do that everybody else would cooperate with us, right? And wouldn't it be so much easier that when you decide to do what God wants you to do that your family, that your husband, that your wife, that your coworkers, that your boss, that your enemies, wouldn't it be so much better if they all got on board too? Of course, but they don't, do they? And Moses' brothers and his, his, his kinsmen started saying, Oh, who died and made you king? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian as if they had any respect for that taskmaster. And then it dawned on Moses. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. So it dawned on Moses, Uh-oh, that they, my, my, these people are not, not receiving me. So he was afraid, and he ran. He ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he came to a place where he went from being an Egyptian somebody to a Hebrew nobody. You have to wonder how this affected his, new, his recent newfound faith. After stepping out, he was trampled over by his own people. He came to Midian afraid, emotionally exhausted, but thankfully, if you'll remember, the text says he came to a well. And that's not insignificant because anytime somebody wearied and exhausted comes to a well, they find something to drink out of that well, right? And the well is where the next chapter of Moses' life began. And, 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 and as he had been drained of the world, as he had been emptied of the world, he began to drink from God's well. And if you remember last time, when you drink from God's well, you get in God's will, right? If you want to get in God's will, drink from God's well. If you're drinking from somebody else's well, you're never going to be in God's will. So Moses started drinking from God's well, and over time he started, started adapting him his taste to what God was all about, which should always be our response to the world's pushing and pulling. Listen, the world pushes at you and pulls at you and squeezes and chokes and drains you. Sometimes we lose material things, we lose temporary things, but here's the thing. When you start losing the world, the answer is never to try to get the world back. Even if it's things that you think you need. Even if it's things the Bible says you need. When you start losing the world, the answer isn't to get more of the world. The answer is to know that God has something greater for us. And it's to become sensitive to what God says we need more than what we think we need because what we think we need is water that we'll always have to have more of. But the well that God has for us, we can drink from and we will have a quenched thirst forever. Isn't that what Jesus said? So what we need to do is allow these seasons of our life to make us more sensitive to our greater needs or our only needs to be filled with God's power to be surrounded by God's presence, to be driven by His purpose, to be reminded by His promises, to be kept by His peace. Those are our greater needs, aren't they? 
To be surrounded by a power and a presence of God that unrivals, is unrivaled by anything else. To have our hearts kept by the peace of God that passes understanding. To be driven by His purpose that often allows us to drive through anything and anything else that gets in the way. To be kept in check by His promises because we need to be reminded, don't we? Listen, God's going to bless you. He's going to provide for you. Don't worry. Our passion needs to be what we can draw from God's well above everything else, though. Not what is going to, what, what's going to happen today materialistically, uh, temporarily. What do I get today that's going to make sure that today is everything it could ever be? That might not always be what we draw from God's well. But these other needs are greater, aren't they? And it's about being, becoming sensitive to those needs. Moses was plenty blessed during this period of his life. Uh, It was a time of healing. Uh, It was a time of preparing him for an age to come that he could have never anticipated. Uh, Never at all could have even imagined what was going to happen next. We don't really know uh, the great details of Moses' faith during this time. Clearly, he was at peace because in this new land, being in this new land, having stood up for what was right, I I assume he thought, well, at least I did the right thing. But I'm sure there were times where he wondered what could have been if only they would have received me as their leader. Or maybe there was a better way to advocate for my people. Maybe I could have remained the prince of Egypt and interceded for them or made some legislation that would free them. Maybe I should have done something differently. Maybe he began to doubt and question if he had did the right thing. But all we know is that 40 years go by. Exodus 2 begins, he's 40 years old. Exodus 3 begins, he's 80 years old. 40 years go by, and he spends it on the backside of the desert. And we don't know what happened in that 40-year gap. We just know it at, in, at age 40, in verse 15 of chapter 2, he sits down at a well. And at age 80, he starts walking up a mountain. In chapter 3, verse 1. I don't know what happened in between that. But when he started drinking from that well, it was all about preparing him and leading him to the mountain. And from this point on, he never stops walking up the mountain. And you might think, well, 40 years? I mean, come on. We don't, Moses lived to be 120. We don't, we don't have that, right? Promise to us, you know. I mean, is it going to be 40 years before I figure out what's God, what God is doing? Listen, if you spend 40 years drinking from God's well and that's all that God wants to do and He's trying to build you and prepare you for something, that's fine. That's a fine place to be. But at some point, you're going to go from the well to the mountain, but it's about being at the well to be ready to go to the mountain when God starts calling you. And I think God's calling you right now. Sometimes God's lead time seems like a long time. But remember, God is playing the long game. God is not panicking because it doesn't get done today. God is looking at your whole life in front of you. And sometimes the lead time to what God is doing seems like a long time, but God is playing the long game. He wants you devoted and rooted and grounded. And this is where we're going tonight with all this. He doesn't just want you to know about Him. He wants you to know Him. Yahweh is the God you can know. And that's the reward that Moses was looking for. 
Yahweh is the God that you can know. And I think a lot of us, we know about Him. I mean, y'all were y'all sitting in church on a Wednesday night in 2019, right? Y'all know a lot about God, and that's great. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed by your desire, by the church's desire to know about God. But, it, but it's bigger than that. And God is going to lead us like He led Moses to something even greater than that. There is a God... There is a God who is bigger than our wildest imagination, who is inviting us to come up the mountain and know Him. What are we waiting on? Maybe you think, well, I don't know, Justin. I had not seen any fire or lightning or burning bushes yet. You don't know. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting. But the invitation is over you tonight to walk up that mountain. And listen, it's not just about knowing the facts, right? It's not just about being able to quote the big three verses of the Bible, right? I know Psalms 23. I know John 3.16. I know Philippians 4.13, right? When he added on his eye black, I knew what that was talking about, right? I didn't have to go and Google it like 50 million people did, right? You know, when the football players do that stuff, right? You know the facts, don't you? We know what the Bible says about this moral issue and about that political issue and about this thing and that thing. You know what the Bible says, don't you? You've read it. You've heard it preached. We know the facts. We know the charts, right? We can talk about, well, there's the amillennial theory and there's the post-trib theory and there's the pre-trib theory and then there's the seven-day creation theory or, you know, then there's the 7,000 years and then there's dinosaurs on the ark, maybe not on the ark. We can go into all the rabbit holes and we can discuss all the theories and you can quote chapter and verse, but it's more than just knowing dates and it's more than just knowing that the number three is the number for God and the number seven is the number for completion and the number 12 is the number for Israel. It's more than just knowing all the numbers. It's more than just being able to sit down with somebody and debate what they believe about Genesis and what they believe about Revelation. And I love doing all that stuff. But it's more than that. It's more than just asking somebody, do you believe in a rapture? Do you believe in a... You know, it's more than that. It's more than, well, I'm a Baptist and they're a Lutheran or I'm a Baptist and they're... You know, it's more than those things that we often get so caught up in. When I started preaching... I quickly realized all those A's I made and all those papers and all those tests and all the things I had memorized aren't enough. Preaching a sermon that makes people sit back and think, wow, have I ever heard anything like that is not going to be enough. No amount of rhyming sermon points or ways to categorize the Bible or ways to systematize theological ideas. That is not enough when it comes to knowing God. And I am a preacher, and I want you to care about that stuff because, hey, that's what keeps you coming. But that's not enough if we're going to know God. It's more than just memorization and information. It's about revelation. It's about inspiration. It comes from the same source. The Word that gives us all the numbers and all the chapters and all the ideas and all the theories. The same Word that talks about Jesus and the same Word that the Holy Spirit speaks through when we sit under the Word and we say, okay God, what are you trying to tell me about you? 
This is not just so I can go and debate somebody or go and tell somebody on social media they're misquoting that. I want to know what does this say about you? What are you trying to impress on me? What are you trying to bring me to my knees or bring me on my face about? Is my posture even appropriate in light of what this text tells me about you? It comes down to falling on our face before a holy and glorious and loving God that has revealed all of this in front of us and unto us. It's about receiving this revelation and inspiration as life-changing. Do you believe it can be life-changing? Do you believe it's more than just saying, well, you know what, A, B, C, you know, admit, believe, confess. Do you believe it's more than just about, you know, punchy sermon points and and, and, and facts here and there? Do you believe it's about being under the life-changing revelation and inspiration of God? Sometimes we seem to only read when we need a response to somebody or when we need to change somebody's mind about something we heard at church but never read for ourselves. We heard the preacher say it, so we open our Bible to try to prove someone else wrong. Listen, this is not just about changing other people's minds. It's about changing our own hearts. And I'm passionate about this because God has changed the way I preach. He's changed the way I read. He's changed the way I pray for over the last several months, several years. And it's more than just about making a nice point. Listen to what the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesians, over you and me. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, may give you, what does that mean? It's free. <laughs> If you want it, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So in the knowledge is the Word. So there's something for us for free that we can receive having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That just means having your heart you know, aware that you may know that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. You know what Paul's saying? So many of us don't know the hope that we are sitting on. His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards who? Us, you, me, who believe according to the working of His great might. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places far above everything else. So but beyond our perception, comprehension, the things that we waste our attention on, far above all of that is Jesus and the power of God that you can know. I don't know about you, but maybe you've got a skill set. Maybe you've got a hobby or a sports team or a certain history period or something that you just know everything about. Maybe you've got a, a city or a town or a vacation spot that you just can, you, you know all the places to go eat, you know all the places to go shop, you know all the places to have fun. Maybe you've got something, if I ask you, hey, what, you know, what, 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 you know, this thing that you do all the time, you post pictures of that, or you always do that, you're always working on that, you're always talking about that, you're always wearing something about that. Can you tell me about it? And maybe if I sat down, you would spend a day if you had the time and had the energy and had me my attention. You could spend a day saying, well, here is all I know about this. And you would be humble and say, I don't know much. But whoa, 24 hours later, you know it all, don't you? 
Maybe you've got something that you know everything there is to know about because you've turned it inside out, you've turned it right side up, you've split it open a hundred times. You know everything there is to know about it because you have chased after every last detail about it. Do you have anything about anything in your life that's like that? When somebody brings up, brings it up, you're just spout a fountain of information. If there is a God, if there is a God of the universe who is inviting us to seek and find and know Him, is there anything more valuable or more important than that pursuit? Is there? And here's the thing. God wants to be known by you. You can know as much about Him as you have the appetite or the desire to know. There's never going to be a moment in your pursuit where you hit a wall, where you hit a limit, where you ha- the, the, the gas tank says, I can't take anymore. There's never going to be a moment where you say, I can't go any higher. The mountain is as high as you can go. I don't know what Moses was doing between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but 40 years go by and he seemed to not be doing very much. But chapter 3 opens up. And he starts his journey from the backside of the desert to the mountain of God. I mean, can you, can you see the extremes there? Can you see what Moses is trying to say? I was on the backside of the desert, and I started walking toward the mountain of God. I mean, can, I, I was nowhere. I was nobody. I was in the barren lands of the earth, and I started walking toward the mountain of God. I mean, can you believe that? I don't care where you're at right now. Guess where you can head towards. I don't care what you don't have going for you and all the things that are going against you. Guess where you can walk toward. What was he doing on the backside of the desert? He was living the dream. He was working for his father-in-law. I mean, no disrespect. Do you think Moses at 80 years old thought, my dream is to work for my father-in-law? As a shepherd. You know what he was doing? His father-in-law was a pagan priest. He was raising the flock that his father-in-law would sacrifice on a pagan altar. Do you think that was humiliating for Moses? I bet. Do you think he thought, why in God's name am I doing this? I wonder if he thought, God, you must have forsaken me because here I am supplying sacrifices to a pagan religion. I mean, you know, he's the equivalent of doing doing awful things. A Christian couldn't do that. He's doing that. You know what that tells me? You know what jumps off the you know what jumped off the page at me? Moses was led to the mountain of God amidst the mundane and routine of everyday life. So don't tell me, well, Justin, you don't know where I work. You don't know what I do. You know how boring my life is. You know how mundane my life is. You know how routine my life is. You know how you know, just absolutely un- unspectacular my life is. Do you know who I work around? Do you know the Spirit of God would not get within 20 miles of my, my job? I mean, do you know what I do? Do you know what it's like to be in my environment? Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. He was leading his flock. He was doing a job. And where did God lead him while he was working? To the mountain of God. And you're telling me that there's no use in you rising out of bed tomorrow with anticipation and excitement and expectation that God is going to do something great wherever you're going? 
You're telling me, oh, it can't happen with me. You don't know what, you don't know, you don't know. And I don't know, I don't. And shame on me, I do this job sometimes with no anticipation, no excitement, and no expectation. And you say, how do you know he's going to do something? How do you know I can go from the mundane and routine to the mountain of God? When we say things like, I don't know, or how do you know, it shows that we doubt that God is actually real and that we know, even know Him at all. We're so negative. We're so hopeless. We're so lackluster in our expectations. You don't know what God may be leading you to. And it doesn't have to be some sort of transfiguration experience with a burning bush. It can still be full of purpose and power. Nobody, none of you are going to walk up a mountain tomorrow and see a bush on fire, right? And if you do, whoo-hoo, hope you take a video of it. You'll get a lot of clicks. But nobody's going to have that happen to them. But that doesn't mean you still can't go to work tomorrow and go to your community tomorrow and get out of bed tomorrow and think, okay, I am headed toward the mountain of God. I don't know where that's going to be at today. It might be in the most unexpected place, but I'm going to head there because that's where God has promised to take me if I seek and I pursue Him. You're going to behold His glory. God is worth the pursuit. He'll never disappoint. But if you find yourself disappointed, and let's be honest, we've all been disappointed. We get out, you know, you you hear a sermon like this, and you think, you know what, I'm getting up tomorrow, and it's going to be different. I'm praying, and I'm reading, and I'm singing, and I'm shouting, and I walk into work, and uh uh-oh, right? Or you get home, and uh uh-oh. If you're disappointed, it's not because God is not present or active. It's because we aren't persistent and we aren't aware. We're not watchful. It began in verse 2 when he saw a bush on fire. And Moses says to himself, I think he said it out loud because I think he thought about not doing it, but he's like, hey, I'm going to say this out loud because maybe if somebody's behind the bush playing a trick on me, they'll start talking. I'll hear them snicker. I'll hear them laugh. I'll hear them breathing. I'm going to go check out the bush. And he goes toward the bush and God starts talking to him. Or he didn't know who it was, but he's like, hey, he heard a voice and it sounded electric. It sounded like thunder. It sounded like something awesome. So he straightened up and said, here I am. Because guess what? I don't think Moses had went by Moses for a while. Because Moses was the prince of Egypt. I don't think Moses told anybody his name in Midian. But the bush knew his name. You know, I'm not one that goes looks for signs. Jesus told us the only sign that we should ever look for or be sensitive to is that the Son of Man rose from the dead. Having given us the eternal sign that Jesus is for us and death and hell can't stop us. But I'll say this regarding this sign, this burning bush. Every day, everything that happens to us is pointing to Jesus. Drawing out interest and eagerness from within us. The Holy Spirit is working everywhere and around everyone to point us to Jesus. Acts 17 says, in Him we live and move and have our being. So we can't get away from the promise of the resurrection. So we don't have to ask for signs. You don't have to and you shouldn't throw the fleece out wondering if God's going to confirm anything to you. Listen, we have all the confirmation we need in Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's pretty clear, right? We need only to step out on faith and believe and receive, accept and engage with whatever comes our way as from God's 
as a way of God communicating with us, speaking to us, moving toward us, moving around us. And notice what verse 5 says. God said, okay, Moses, don't take a step closer. Take your shoes off. Do you not realize you're on holy ground? And Moses is like, oh, gosh. One of these experiences. Okay, magical bush. Listen, this is called sand. I've been walking on it for 40 years. There's nothing special about desert ground. And God says, actually, the ground you're standing on belongs to me. And, oh, by the way, you don't know me. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob that you read a little bit about, but now you're about to know a whole lot about. The ground on which we stand is holy because the God we can know is holy. Isn't that a way to change perspective? Remember what Isaiah saw in the vision? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what the angels in heaven sang. Not mighty, 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 or loving, 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 or Lord of all, Lord of all. What were they singing? Holy, set apart, sacred, consecrated. God is on His own level. He is on His own plane. He is in His own league. He is above and beyond everything. God doesn't comprehend the idea of second or third place. God does not comprehend when we say, if I get time, Lord, or if I have a chance, Lord, or if I have enough, Lord. God doesn't comprehend one day a week or 10%. He's holy. He's sacred. He's set apart. He doesn't get a little bit. He has all of it. Amen? There is... No one in the conversation or on the level with God and all that we would rise up every day and realize that and chase after the God who is holy and be sensitive to and aware of His glory around us. Let me explain this to you as we close. Glory is the smoke to holiness's fire. The whole earth is full of His glory. Not a percentage of His glory. The whole earth knows. Nature knows. Everyone seems to get it but us meager, mortal humans. Glory is exuded, emitted, rising out of His holiness. Glory means weight. It means heaviness. It means presence that is felt and known and leaves a mark. Moses gets a dose of God's holiness and God's glory that leaves him a changed man as it should have, as it can and should for you and for me. And what was, what was the whole spill? Verse 12. I will be with you. And what is all this about? I'm going to bring you to the mountain. So you got to go away for a while, but you know where you're coming back to? This mountain. And what are you going to do on this mountain? You're going to come up the mountain. You're going to come up the mountain and get face to face with me. And if you read all of Moses' story, you know what you find him doing over and over again? 
You find him sinning. You find him cursing. You find him doubting. You find him throwing fits and temper tantrums. But guess what he's doing all along the way? He is walking up the mountain to see the face of God. You'll find later on where the Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. And you might be waiting a while, Moses, but wait on this mountain. Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, after Moses sat there for six days wondering, what's going to happen? I can't even see. Seven days later, the glory called Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of all the people. And God told the people, if you touch this mountain, you will die. You will burn up because you aren't good enough. Nobody's good enough to be in my holy presence. But you can still come up and get close. The holy fire would consume them. The glorious smoke would evaporate them. You know what God kept doing? He kept inviting them up the mountain. Chapter 34, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to the mountain to me. And Moses knew when he was invited to come, who he was invited to know, even if it meant standing in the cleft of a rock and only getting a glimpse of God's backside, that was enough. It was worth it. He's the God you can know. He's the God you can know. I hope you know a lot about Him. But I would subtract half the stuff that you know about Him if it meant you can know Him. You would get up out of bed tomorrow and say, I'm ready. I'm going to the mountain of God. At the end of Moses' life, God says, okay, Moses, here's the deal. You're going to walk up this mountain and you're going to die on this mountain with me. Huh? You're going to walk up this mountain you're going to die on this mountain with me. You know what Moses did? He got up one morning, he walked up that mountain and he died on that mountain. You know why? Because God said, come up the mountain. Deuteronomy 34. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. He said, Moses, I can't let you in. You're going to die right here with me. Isn't that what I promised all along? Deuteronomy throws this in at the end. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed. His vigor was unabated. He didn't die because he got too old. He died because he reached the top. It took him every last day to get there. And when he got there, his vision was not dimmed. His strength was not gone. He was in heaven because he was with the God you can know. I hope you know there's a God that you can know. So get up tomorrow. Start singing. Start praying. Start looking. Because guess who you're going to find? The God you can know. And guess where he's at?
He's on the mountain that is right in front of you. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. I can't, I'm, it's so awesome to just talk about this and to think about how good you are and how awesome you are and how high and holy you are. And God, forgive me of every excuse I've ever made. God, well, they won't get it and it'll never grow and we're never going to get anywhere and we'll never make it and nobody will ever care. All the excuses I've made every single week worrying about this and that and these people and those people and this thing and that thing. God, forgive me of those things because you continue to say to me, come up the mountain. This is me and you. This is me and you on a mountaintop. And I want you to get where I got, where I want you to go. Don't worry about the rest of the people that you seem to be so concerned about. You worry about me and you. Come up the mountain. I've got something to show you. Father, I thank you for giving me this opportunity to worship tonight and just talk about this with you as my audience. And God, I love this family. I love these people. God, I hope that this can leave an impression on them that there's a God they can know. Woo! A God they can know and a God that will never stop revealing Himself. So God, may you give us the strength to get up tomorrow and be ready. Be ready to go up that mountain. Because something's incredible is waiting for us. We ask all this in the name of the God of the mountain. Amen.